Welcome to PharmaTalk Radio Podcasts. This podcast is focused on neoadjuvant immune checkpoint blockade, a window into treatment response and primary resistance from the 2022 Immuno-Oncology 360 Summit. For more information about the Immuno-Oncology 360 Summit, our editorial, podcasts, and webinars, please visit io360summit.com. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. Thank you, uh, Dan. Thanks for the very kind introduction, and, and thank you to the organizers uh, for inviting me to participate in, in this conference. Um, today, I'm going to be talking about a, a new approach to using immune checkpoint blockade called neoadjuvant uh, immune checkpoint blockade. Um, this is very relevant to the uh, biomarker session that we had here yesterday. Um, it provides us with a pre-surgical window into treatment response and resistance. And I'll, I'll explain a bit more about that. I have some disclosures related to the talk today. <coughs> All right, so um, I'd like to start by just briefly setting the stage for where are we now with the development of uh, PD-1 pathway blockade as, as a form of cancer therapy. Uh, I think this audience understands how, how the pathway uh, works. Um, we know that uh, PD-1 is a dominant immune checkpoint, although there are many checkpoints, probably three dozen or, or more. Um, and you've heard about some of the other target molecules uh, at this conference. Um, but in the center of this diagram is, is the T cell, which we think is the most important cell involved in the PD-1 pathway. Um, once the T cell recognizes uh, components of tumor uh, antigens, um, it then... Um, it needs a second signal to tell it how to behave. So that can either be an inhibitory signal or a stimulatory signal. Um, in the diagram here, if the T cells are stimulated, they then become uh, activated, and, and signs of that are T cell proliferation, uh, secretion of cytokines, um, development of killing activity against cancer cells, uh, and also trafficking around the body, seeking out sites of uh, metastatic disease. Um, but what's shown in the lower right there is that uh, at the same time that these T cells become activated, they start expressing immune checkpoints, which will eventually uh, turn them off. And this is part of a normal mechanism in the immune system to avoid normal uh, tissue inflammation during an immune response. Um, but in the case of cancer, cancer cells can express the ligand PD-L1 uh, when that molecule interacts with PD-1 on the uh, T cells, it will turn them off. Uh, so these T cells can recognize cancer, they can traffic to cancer, but once they get there, if the tumor expresses PDL1, uh, they will be turned off. So then what was done in the clinic was to develop drugs that either block the PD-1 receptor on T cells or the PDL1 uh, ligand on tumor cells, and it turned out that blocking either side of that pathway uh, could lead to the regression of very advanced cancers that had not responded to other forms of uh, therapy at the time. Um, so where are we now? Um, in the United States, we have seven drugs that have been approved by the FDA to block this pathway, including four that block PD-1 and three that block uh, PD-L1. 
And we also have three biomarkers uh, that help us find patients who are more likely to respond uh, to these treatments. Now, none of these biomarkers are black and white, so this is not like finding a BRAF mutation and then um, deciding that you're going to use a BRAF-MEK uh, inhibitor combination in, in melanoma. Um, but these um, markers increase the likelihood of response. Um, the first one that was developed was PDL1 immunohistochemistry, staining pretreatment tumor tissues to see if they express PDL1, the, the ligand that I just mentioned. Um, this has been approved by the FDA in certain cancer types where it was shown uh, to be helpful, but it's not approved across the board in all cancer types. Um, the next two are genetic markers that are approved across all cancer types. So no matter what kind of cancer you have, if your tumor has microsatellite instability or if it has a high mutational burden, um, you qualify uh, to receive anti-PD-1 therapy um, because your, your cancer is more likely to respond if it has um, either of these markers, um, which reflect the fact that the highly mutated tumor um, expresses what we call neoantigens, abnormal proteins that have never been seen before by the immune system, and so they should be very strong immune stimulants. Um, and so currently in the U.S., we have approvals uh, to use anti-PD-1 or PDL one drugs in 20 different kinds of, of cancers. Um, and they're listed here roughly uh, in the order uh, that the approvals were, were received. And, and I'm showing there some response rates from uh, various uh, published trials uh, where the drugs were given either in the first line or later line uh, treatment settings. Um, this uh, entire area of medical research is is generally thought to be successful uh, uh, because the Nobel Prize was was awarded uh, to doctors Allison and Hanjo uh, a few years ago for their discoveries in this area, and also uh, commercially because uh, two anti PD one uh, drugs are among the top uh, best selling drugs of of any kind globally for any disease. Uh, so there has been a real uptake um, in standard medical practice uh, for this treatment. But if you look at those response rates, you see that we don't have 100% of patients responding uh, with any of those cancers. Um, and there are also some cancer types that are not on the list, like prostate cancer and pancreatic cancer. They do not respond uh, to anti-PD-1 or PDL one as, as a single drug. So we still have a lot of work to do. Now, um, once we established that these drugs um, were broadly uh, effective across many cancer types and also that they were relatively safe to use, uh, we began to ask if we could use them uh, at earlier stages in the evolution of cancer. Um, and so um, I kind of think of this as, as preventive medicine because what we're trying to do here is prevent operable tumors um, from uh, relapsing and uh, moving to stage four. Um, and so the first results in this in this area came from melanoma, where we used checkpoint blockers post-operative 
postoperatively in patients um, who, um, according to their CT scans, it seemed as if we could remove all of the tumor uh, surgically, but because of certain properties of their cancer, uh, we knew that the patients were at high risk for relapse after surgery. And so um, we now have FDA approvals to use anti-CTLA-4 or one of two anti-PD-1 drugs, Nevo or Pembro, in the post-surgical setting. Um, These were shown um, uh, to very significantly delay the time to relapse after surgery. Uh, Recently, there have been additional adjuvant um, approvals for bladder cancer, esophageal cancer, and non-small cell lung cancer. And I think this list uh, will only grow because there are so many clinical trials uh, in this area now. But with that information, uh, we asked a new question. Uh, could we use immune checkpoint blockade before the patient underwent surgery? Um, again, surgery with intent to cure, uh, but these patients are at high risk um, for relapse because of certain properties um, of their, their profile. And so this is called neoadjuvant or pre-surgical immune checkpoint blockade. Now, scientifically, um, there are reasons why giving anti-PD-1 before surgery might be better than giving it after surgery. Um, we published a review on this a couple of years ago. I would refer you to this review for the uh, details, but um, essentially, um, we think that anti-PD-1 can act as a primer for systemic to anti-tumor immunity while the tumor mass is still in place. Um, one way this might work on the upper left of this diagram is that we might be activating T cells that are all that have already reached the tumor site. But as, as I showed you earlier, they're stalled because of the presence of PDL1 there, and so we block that pathway. <laughs> reactivate those T cells, which then traffic into lymph nodes and eventually get into the bloodstream and then percolate systemically, find sites of micrometastatic disease, which would be the cause of post-surgical relapse and and destroy the the tumor there. The other way this might work uh, would be to enhance T cell education in tumor-draining lymph nodes. Um, And again, those educated, activated T cells then get into the bloodstream and find micrometastatic Metastatic uh, disease. Um, we don't think that these uh, mechanisms are mutually exclusive. In fact, we, we think that they uh, work together, um, but that's a hypothesis based on animal models, and we need to know from real human tissues whether uh, things like this are, are actually uh, occurring. Now, when we first uh, took neoadjuvant immunotherapy uh, into the clinic, we had to weigh the risks and benefits. And uh, here's where medical oncologists had some lengthy discussions with surgical oncologists about how long could we give this kind of treatment in a patient who was going to go to the operating room uh, with intent for cure? Uh, what was the preoperative interval that would be safe? Um, and so uh, on the risk side on the left there, um, if the anti-PD-1 did not work uh, in that patient, then their, their cancer would likely progress, and there's always the possibility of losing a surgical option. Also, um, these treatments do have side effects, and if the, the side effects are are severe, which is not common, but it does happen, uh, that could also cause surgical delay. 
Um, but we thought that the benefits outweighed the risks. Um, if the patient did um, have a tumor that responded uh, to immunotherapy, then the tumor uh, size would be smaller and maybe surgery would be easier. And um, in an extreme case, let's say that the tumor disappeared during, during the pre-surgical treatment interval, um, maybe there would be no need for surgery. And that, that part is um, still debatable, by the way. Um, also, uh, because we, we would have the entire surgical uh, specimen to examine, we now had access to a new biomarker uh, for long-term outcomes like relapse-free and overall survival. And this biomarker is pathologic response. So our pathologists can look at the entire surgical specimen and tell us if they still see viable tumor cells in the specimen or what percent of regression has, has occurred. Um, and finally, uh, for the first time, we now have adequate tissues uh, to do in-depth biomarker studies. Um, and because these patients have not had prior cancer therapies, so they're only getting the immune checkpoint blocking uh, systemic therapy, uh, we have a very pure uh, scientific situation here where we have one therapy, surgery, specimen, and now we can examine this for biomarkers to try to understand more about the mechanism of action of, of these uh, drugs. So um, this uh, just shows you all uh, the different kinds of scientific studies that we can now do with access to these tissues. Uh, so on the left there, I'm showing a primary lung cancer um, that um, is treated with neoadjuvant uh, anti-PD-1. And so from that, we have access to the primary tumor tissue. We also have access to normal lung tissue, which would be part of a standard resection. And we have access to tumor-draining lymph nodes where a lot of the immunological activity occurs. And again, this is part of a standard lung resection for lung cancer. Um, we can preserve those tissues in, in formalin and, and do things like immunohistochemistry, multiplexing uh, technologies that you heard about yesterday. We can isolate RNA and, and DNA for uh, whole exome sequencing, gene expression profiling, TCR sequencing. And um, now we have large quantities of viable tissue, and that plays uh, into single-cell RNA-seq uh, assays. And, and again, these were things that we could not do before uh, with the standard core needle biopsies that uh, were used for so many years um, uh, to look at biomarkers in, in, in this area. So um, the first report of neoadjuvant anti-PD-1 in an any cancer type um, was in lung cancer. Uh, this was an article in New England Journal in 2018, and it came from a collaboration uh, between John, Johns Hopkins, my, my home base, uh, and Memorial Sloan uh, Kettering. Uh, the lead uh, authors uh, were Patrick Ford from Hopkins and Jamie Chaft from, from Memorial. Um, and I want to just show you a few things that were learned from that trial uh, that have played out now in many uh, neoadjuvant trials that followed in multiple uh, cancer types. Um, so first was that um, the changes in 
cancer tissues that occur as a result of anti-PD-1 treatment can occur very rapidly and much more rapidly than we detect with CT scanning. Um, so what we found in this uh, uh, rather small study, uh, 21 patients, um, was that CT scan response, which we call resist response, occurred in only 10% of the patients. But a major pathologic response, um, which was defined as only 10% or less residual viable tumor cells, that major pathologic response occurred in 45% of the cases. And remarkably, this occurred after only four weeks of anti-PD-1 therapy, four weeks. Now, another thing that we learned was about um, some of the characteristics, the pathologic characteristics of immune-mediated tumor regression. Um, this looks very different than a, what a tumor looks like if it's responding to chemotherapy or kinase inhibitors. Um, what this looks more like is normal wound healing. And so there's a lot of literature, uh, surgical and, and other kinds of literature, about what happens um, when you have a wound, let's say a, a, a skin incision that heals. And it turns out that a cancer responding to anti-PD-1 has a lot of those same characteristics, which are, which are shown here um, in terms of um, proliferative fibrosis, uh, sheets of infiltrating immune cells, um, neovasculature, and tertiary lymphoid structures. And so this is the work of uh, Janice Taubin and Tricia Cottrell at Hopkins and uh, Mike Tetzlaff, who was at uh, MD Anderson at the time. And finally, um, now we have this new uh, marker, pathologic response, that we can try to use uh, to predict long-term outcomes in these patients. So the big question is, uh, will pathologic response that we see after four weeks of anti-PD-1 therapy correlate with relapse-free or overall survival? And it appears that it does now in multiple studies in different cancer types. I'm showing you here a study that we did in Mer Merkel cell carcinoma, which, which is a rare but very aggressive form of skin cancer, um, where after four weeks of anti-PD-1 therapy, um, we had almost 50% of patients with a complete pathologic response, meaning no viable tumor cells re remaining in the specimen. And here I'm showing you an example of one of our uh, patients. You can see the very large lesion that she, she has on her face that um, was well on the way to disappearing after only seven 17 days of treatment. Um, she went to the operating room a couple of weeks after that, and there were no uh, living tumor cells in, in the specimen, and she did well um, for years uh, afterwards. And so in this trial, as, as you see in the Kaplan-Meier curve on the right, if, if the tumor had a complete response, um, those patients were very likely to be relapse-free two years later. And we're still following these, these patients and, and may, uh, uh, at some point, publish a, a longer-term uh, follow-up. If the tumor did not have a complete response, uh, the patients did not fare as well. And so now, this kind of approach uh, shows us a group of patients who may need more aggressive surgery. And so we can tailor different um either surgery or uh, post-operative medical uh, treatments uh, for these patients. And so maybe those patients need to continue on an anti-PD-1 for a while after surgery, whereas the group at the top uh, had no subsequent uh, therapy after that four weeks.
Um, and then in terms of scientific investigations, um, uh, these results were published in, in Nature uh, several months ago, uh, looking at neoadjuvant lung cancer specimens uh, with single-cell RNA-seq, now looking for new markers that might be co-targeted in combination uh, treatment regimens with anti-PD-1. And so uh, here you see, for example, on the left that um, T-cells from responders had increased levels of IL-7 receptor, uh, suggesting that maybe a combination of anti-PD-1 plus uh, the cytokine IL-7 might be uh, efficacious. And on the right, uh, you see that additional um, markers of non-response uh, were observed, including some of the killer inhibitory receptors that affect NK cells that can be blocked um, with experimental uh, drugs. So... Um, I would say that not every cancer responds as well to neoadjuvant anti-PD-1 as, as the examples that I've shown you. For instance, we, we published uh, last year a study in head and neck cancer where the response rates are much lower. We also found, interestingly, in melanoma, uh, which is generally very responsive to anti-PD-1 therapies, that in the neoadjuvant setting, um, it wasn't so responsive to, to anti-PD-1 as a single drug. And so... Um, then the next approach uh, for these more difficult situations would be to use combination therapies. And we can get our clues uh, from combinations that have already been shown to be effective uh, for patients with advanced, unresectable uh, disease. So I'm listing some possible combinations here, including uh, the combination of multiple uh, checkpoint blockers, such as uh, anti-PD-1 plus anti-CTLA-4, which is already approved in, in several cancer cases shown there, um, a combination with chemotherapy, with kinase inhibitors. So all of these are, are possibilities to move into the neoadjuvant um, arena. Now, in melanoma, Christian Blanc and, and colleagues um, decided to test um, anti-CTLA-4, IPI, with uh, NEVO anti-PD-1 as a combination for resectable stage 3 um, melanoma. And um, again, stage 3 is metastasis to the uh, regional uh, lymph nodes. Um, and what they showed here was that um, after only six weeks of this combination therapy and patients uh, going to the operating room for complete resection, um, those whose tumors showed at least a 50% pathologic response fared extremely well two years and beyond, uh, no relapse in those patients, whereas the other group um, who didn't achieve that 50% response mark did not fare as well. And so again, this identifies for us a group of patients, um, the responders who don't need to receive additional therapies, and another group uh, who probably should receive additional um, therapies for their cancer. In July of last year, there was a seminal FDA approval um, for neoadjuvant uh, anti-PD-1 plus chemotherapy in triple negative breast cancer. So this is the first approval for neoadjuvant immune checkpoint blockade. Um, it came from the results from the Keynote 522 trial, and I think we'll be hearing more about this from one of the speakers in, in the next session. Um, in this trial, patients were randomized to receive uh, either the combination therapy, anti-PD-1, 
plus chemo or uh, standard chemo um, alone. Um, and then they were uh, followed for pathologic complete response as well as event-free survival, relapse-free survival. So these were the co-primary endpoints of these trials. And both endpoints were met, and so there was an FDA um, approval. Um, here's another study uh, in uh, non-small cell lung cancer. This one was neoadjuvant anti-PD-1 plus chemo versus standard chemo alone. Um, this uh, led to an FDA approval that happened just two weeks ago, and so you, you get the sense uh, things are happening pretty quickly here. Um, the co-primary endpoints were the same as what I mentioned uh, for the breast cancer trial. Uh, so pathologic uh, complete response was much higher in the combination therapy, and event-free survival was substantially longer with the combination therapy. And finally, I'll just point out that for cancer types where we already have approved adjuvant post-surgical uh, immunotherapies such as melanoma, um, we have a little bit of a, of a dilemma. Um, uh, do we think that adjuvant um, is um, equivalent uh, to neoadjuvant therapy um, or, or are they different? I showed you some of the scientific rationale suggesting neoadjuvant would be better, but these are two trials that are actually addressing this point head on. So there's a SWOG trial uh, led by Apna Patel at MD Anderson, um, where patients um, with stage three or four melanoma are, are randomized to either get uh, neoadjuvant uh, anti-PD-1 first, followed by surgery, or um, the opposite. And the Nadina trial, which is led by Christian Blanc and Georgina Long, uh, patients with stage three melanoma are randomized uh, to get the combination of ipinevo uh, prior to surgery or surgery up front. Now, interestingly, th those people who get the neoadjuvant treatment um, then based on the pathologic examination of the surgical specimen um, will either just go into follow-up um, if they have substantial uh, tumor regression in the pathologic specimen, or if not, uh, they will go on to receive standard adjuvant therapies uh, for their uh, melanoma. So uh, these trials should read out soon, and I think it's it's going to be very important uh, now for new uh, standard of care in melanoma. So in conclusion, I, I've sh shown you that neoadjuvant checkpoint blockade can prime systemic anti-tumor immunity uh, and prolong a relapse-free survival, um, that pathologic response outpace, outpaces radiographic response and provides us now with a new early-on treatment marker predicting long-term outcomes, uh, and that the large quantities of tissue that we recover at the time of surgery are going to be vital uh, to scientific studies to better understand how these treatments are working. So with that, um, I'll thank um, the team at Hopkins. This this is the early team uh, photographed uh, at the time that we uh, published that paper that, that Dan mentioned. So we're all smiling because we really had an inclination that the, this treatment might, might be uh, something good. And um, we also uh, thank all of our collaborators ar around the world and many sources of support. So thanks so much for your attention today. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. For more information about the Amino Oncology 360 Summit, our editorial, podcasts, and webinars, please visit io360summit.com. 
Thank you. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.